Can you hear me now? Are we all set, Chris? Yes. Excellent. Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, time being three, 539, I would like to call the Economic Development Subcommittee meeting with the Steering Committee for the Franklin for All Zoning Project to order uh, the April 6th, the April 6th meeting. I'd like to remind everyone that we will be using civil discourse and show respect to each other throughout this meeting. Um, all citizens are welcome to attend public board and committee meetings in person. Additionally, in an effort to maximize citizen engagement opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone or Zoom, which is, I think is awesome. Um, and the meetings will also be live streamed by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29. The link to the meeting is in the agenda, which is on the website. Uh, the call-in number is 1-929-205-6099. It's on your screen. Uh, the meeting ID number is 8191598-9759, and then press the pound number. So thank you all for being here. Oh, I'd like to also let you know that um, other people might be recording this, just to make sure that you understand that. I think probably Steve Franklin Radio might be out there in Zoom. Uh, first, I just want to quickly let you all know that in the chambers, I have uh, Councillor Sheridan, Jones, and Frangelo with me. I have Greg Grondo and Beth Whirling from the Planning Board, and Bruce Hunchard from the Zoning Board of Appeals could not make it tonight. Uh, I would like to thank the 600 people who took the survey, the Franklin for All survey. I think that's amazing, 600 people. Um, thanks, everyone, for your comments that you've been sending me, um, for the, going to the forum, and all your emails, it's just been, um, it's great to have participation like this. So um, without further ado, I believe that we have an update from MAPC for the Franklin for All Zoning Reform Project for Franklin Center, including downtown commercial districts and surrounding neighborhoods. Um, and Emma is gonna give us an update on the survey information, Emma. Great, thank you. Uh, let me just share my screen. Can you see that? Yes, we can see it. Okay. We can't really hear you very well right now though. You can't hear me? Yeah, now I can. Okay. I'll try to talk into my computer. Um, thank you for welcoming me back. Um, the focus of our meeting today is obviously going to be recapping the survey results. We're also gonna hear from the Director of Data Services, Tim Reardon, who's here with me um, at MAPC, and he's going to explain the methodology around the MBTA communities analysis um, in terms of kind of what DHCD is requiring. And, you know, this also sort of feeds into uh, a more general build-out analysis that we would do for the study area that takes into account any zoning recommendations we would be moving forward. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, 
So our survey was open for a little less than a month, and it was actually completed by 682 people who submitted results, um, which is fantastic. Um, Not everybody answered every question, but 682 people answered, you know, some of the questions. Some people obviously filled out the entire thing. And up over 800 people actually like access the survey um, because the survey basically just flags the IP address of everyone who visits the page. And so I still think that's a number worth mentioning. <coughs> even if not everybody filled it out, they still could have learned something from it and just been informed by the process. So that's why I'm mentioning it. And the majority of people who completed the survey did not attend our public forum though I'm pretty sure almost everybody who attended the forum either online or in person went and filled out the survey because 246 people said that they did attend or they watched it. One of the first things that we asked on the survey was how familiar folks feel with zoning as a general topic, but also more specifically how you know they understand zoning and its impact in Franklin. And something I think is interesting, um, kind of across the board, the, the most responses were for somewhat. So not very, very, uh, you know, like well-known in terms of some of the intricacies, but generally have a good idea of what zoning means. But something I think is interesting is that people felt more familiar with zoning as a general concept than in Franklin in their own community. And I just think that speaks to, you know, the work that we're doing here. And as we start putting in our recommendations and also showing things more visually through the build-out analysis, hopefully we can give people more of an idea of what um, zoning really looks like in their community. We asked people about the study area and if we were capturing the right locations and the vast majority of people think that we are on the right track and we're looking at the right places. For people who answered no, there was sort of a mix of people who either felt like um, the area was too small and should include maybe some of the areas along East or West Central Street further out, um, either to just kind of increase mixed-use development and density um, in those commercial districts, but also to potentially redevelop strip malls in those areas. Um, A number of people who said no didn't really answer the question. They just sort of used used it as an opportunity to explain that they're not interested in anything changing in the community. Um, But, you know, I'm pretty encouraged by the number of people who feel like we are looking at the right places. And there was definitely a mix of opinions about um, whether the study area should just sort of focus entirely on the di- on the, like the immediate downtown commercial district um, and you know potentially the C1 district or include sort of the broader area. So that was kind of a mix um, bag of the people who said no. We asked people to imagine their ideal version of Franklin Center in the future and to write down five words that describe this future. Um, Since we had so many words, it basically filtered out everything that um, was said. It included everything, all the words that were mentioned at least five times. So at least all these words were mentioned at least five times and some many more. So obviously the big one that kind of pops out is walkable followed by parking, vibrant, accessible, restaurants, diverse, safe, 
And then there's some other um, words that got a lot of responses too. And so this word cloud sort of just allows you to see the differences in those responses visually. We asked people to indicate how important they felt a number of priorities were, um, and people were able to say if they thought that was an important priority, um, just something that could be good, but nice, you know, nice to have, but not super important, and then unimportant or not sure. So, you know, by far, um, the biggest responses were around supporting, like having it be important that we support existing businesses, create opportunities for new businesses, provide um, new public spaces for people to sit and gather, and um, simplify regulations to make them easier for owners to understand. Um, and, you know, housing is kind of more towards the bottom of the list here. So I think we kind of We'll need to keep talking and, you know, sort of reconcile how we balance our different priorities with what, you know, people are indicating here. For each of the districts that are in the study area, we asked people to weigh in both on what types of housing typologies they would want to see and also the kinds of commercial land uses that they, that they think would make sense. So for the downtown commercial district, in terms of Housing types, you know, by far we're seeing people wanting to see mixed use buildings. That's not surprising, um, you know, multi, you know, higher density buildings, but with commercial options on the first floor to sort of, you know, in, in contribute to vibrancy in the study area and specifically in the downtown core. A lot of people want to see on the commercial end, more shops, restaurants and bars, uh, art galleries, artisanal and craft maker spaces. Um, so just this kind of destinations that people in the town would want to go to, but also, you know, are things that can kind of draw in people from other communities. The answers for the commercial one district are fa fairly similar. Um, we're still seeing mixed use as the top uh, priority in terms of housing types, though, um, you know, a, a pretty decent number of people also would, you know, be comfortable with sort of seeing either smaller or larger multifamily buildings there, which essentially reflects, you know, what is what the area is owned for now. Um, in terms of land uses that are commercial, um, top one here actually is offices, but we're, you know, we land pretty closely on a lot of other, the other categories um, in terms of enthusiasm. So, um, service-related businesses, grocery stores, fitness, gyms, um, you know, I think the kind of places that if you were living in the downtown, you would probably want easy access to because it just might enable you to not have to drive as far um, and, you know, just sort of allows you to not have to leave the district. For the general residential five district, there's definitely um, sort of a different skew in terms of the results. Um, so the top housing type for this district was two family homes, followed by single family, townhomes, cottage style housing, and um, three family homes. And you know, with the exception of single family homes, I would say all those other types fall into what we call like the missing middle housing types. So things that are 
uh, a lot less denser than, you know, a larger multifamily building and might be able to sort of fit within the context of a lower density neighborhood, but could lead to some incremental increases in density. Um, for commercial uses, there was definitely less um, responses just overall about these, um, but artisanal and craft maker spaces was the top one, um, followed by restaurants and bars and grocery stores. We're almost there. Um, the next one is the single family residential district and not surprising, people feel like the housing typology that makes the most sense there is single family homes, um, followed by cottage style housing, which often ends up sort of taking the form of a single family home, but you would cluster units sort of in slightly closer proximity and you might you know, cluster them around common open space. So again, it still can kind of fit into that lower density typology, but allow a little bit more units um, than just the single family zoning. And then for uh, commercial uses, again, you know, not a lot um, of responses here. You know, I think people see this kind of as the residential, a residential district that should stay that way. Um, but things like craft and maker spaces and grocery stores um, were some of the higher ones mentioned. And then lastly, the mixed business and innovation district. Um, in terms of housing, you know, people thought that mixed use buildings could make there make sense there, smaller multifamily buildings, townhomes, um, and definitely a sentiment that that area should, you know, continue to support commercial uses like offices, business incubators, co-working spaces, craft maker spaces, essentially what it has been zoned for um, currently. For each of those districts, we asked people to weigh in on their thoughts about density. So basically, is the density just right? Can the area support more people? Is it too dense or, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. And so um, for the downtown commercial district, most people feel that the area can and should have more density. Um, same in the commercial one district, though, um, not quite as high a number and, you know, followed by the next most common response, which is that the density is just right. So um, definitely people in the minority thinking that those areas are already too dense. For the general residential five district, most people feel like the density is about right um, with the next most common response being that the area is already too dense. And then for the single family residential district, um, by far, most people think that the density is just right, um, again, followed by, or it's too dense. So not necessarily wanting to see more density there. Um, and then for the mixed business and innovation district, you know, by far the most common response there was that this is an area, currently it has really no people living in it, um, but it's an area that could and should have more density. We asked people their sentiment around building design. Um, and, you know, we gave a couple options like traditional, modern, um, but we also let people tell us if they don't care as much about what the actual architectural design is, more just they care that it's being designed well. And so not surprisingly, um, most people think that Franklin's, you know, new buildings should still have that traditional look that can allow them to fit in well with some of the older uh, buildings that are in the districts. And so um, 
that is definitely something that we keep in mind. Moving forward, in terms of some of the people who said other um, responses, a lot of the responses were more about just needing to have kind of an appropriate form and massing in terms of the site and where it's located and kind of less so about the actual architectural design standards. We didn't give an option for a mix of both. Um, and so I'm curious kind of how this might've turned out if we had put that in as an option, but um, you know, some of the people who gave other responses basically said that Franklin already has a mix of architectural styles. And so it sort of makes sense to blend those more modern and traditional aesthetics. Uh, folks weighed in on with some suggestions around using a mix of setbacks, potentially having like a more traditional ground floor level with maybe more contemporary styles on the stories above um, in areas where people aren't kind of directly looking at them when they're interacting on the street. Um, and just generally making sure that any new designs are respectful of the small town feel and historic character that really defines Franklin Center. And we also got a number of comments here just around the need to be thinking about sustainability and energy efficiency in building design. Parking is obviously a big concern. A lot of people feel like um, there's not enough parking. And I think the data kind of is, um, kind of can, you could read it different ways um, in terms of kind of what the results of the parking studies say. But um, most of the people here definitely felt like they were okay with a little bit of a walk, um, you know, three to five minutes from a parking spot to their destination. So they don't necessarily need to be right in front of the building, but um, I think it's more just about people knowing that they can go to the district and find a place to park. So they're willing to park a little bit farther if they know they could still get a spot there, um, which just sort of speaks to like maybe considering a centralized parking solution or you know just thinking more about that um, as we kind of craft our recommendations. People spoke about their desire to walk and travel freely in the area, but they don't necessarily feel comfortable with that. Um, and so would want there to be more pedestrian and bike safety improvements sort of around Franklin Center in order for them to feel more comfortable. Um, a lot of comments about the need for a parking garage in the downtown to support local businesses and allow more people to take the commuter rail. And lastly, comments around the need to um, be really thinking thoughtfully around ADA accessibility for um, you know, new curbing, parking, sidewalks, and also more generally um, at the MBTA station, which is obviously not owned by the town, but um, definitely affects the people who live there and are traveling from there. We allowed people to give some other comments about what they think the look and feel of Franklin Center should be. And a lot of these responses were sort of reflective of other questions that we had asked, but the prominent theme was really just people looking for retail and leisure shopping and dining and people want to be able to hang out in their downtown and not have to leave the community in order to access those services. Um, a quote that I liked that I think sort of describes what we want to do here well, um, people don't often know what they want until they have it. We might not enjoy change, but we all enjoy walkable, vibrant places with continuous storefront, interesting buildings, and walk slash bike infrastructure. Um, and again, we heard some more comments around here in terms of the green energy standards. Um, and so thinking about electric buildings, uh, 
either in terms of requiring it or incentivizing it in order to reduce uh, greenhouse gas dependency. Sorry, greenhouse gas causing um, <laughs> material dependency. Uh, so the last section of the survey was around strengths and challenges and opportunities. So some of the strengths that we heard are that the downtown is a good size. It's not too big or too small. There's a train station that um, you know, provides access into Boston. The area has a small town feel and historic character. People love like the events and festivals that bring people into the downtown. Generally, um, you know, I think there are always ways to improve walkability, but people feel like it's pretty good um, you know, for a more suburban community. And uh, some of the, the places that were commonly mentioned are, you know, really these destinations that contribute to vibrancy. So the library, the black box, the Irish pub, um, and also just having Dean College there, you know, it's a beautiful campus and it definitely contributes to um, all that Franklin has to offer. We definitely heard some sentiment here around people liking things just the way they are. They don't want Franklin to turn into a large Metro West community or Boston. Um, so, you know, that sentiment is there. And I think we definitely want to make clear um, that any of our zoning recommendations are not intended to, you know, make Franklin Boston or a larger Metro West community. Um, they're gonna be contextually sensitive and, you know, appropriate based on the feedback we've received. In terms of challenge, uh, the number one thing was lack of parking or perceived lack of parking, uh, lack of stores and casual eateries, lack of nightlife. Um, some people feel like there are areas of downtown that are kind of run down and might um, benefit from sprucing up. People mentioned that commercial rents are just too high to allow small businesses to move in, and this contributes to vacancies and also, you know, the character and, you know, the type of businesses that end up being in the downtown because, you know, banks, those kind of businesses are always going to be able to afford the rents, but the smaller mom and pop stores that really like make Franklin unique um, are definitely affected. And um, you know, there's no, there's very little available affordable housing. Um, and that is in terms of both deed restricted affordable housing um, that is required to be, uh, you know, rented to a certain population at a certain income level, but also just housing that is affordable, like capital A, or sorry, lowercase a, <laughs> um, we, we normally capitalize affordable housing when we're referring to deed restricted housing, but um, we also mean just sort of naturally occurring affordable properties that, you know, maybe it was a property that people could afford for a long time, but the building gets sold and the new person's going to raise the rent. And, you know, all of a sudden that unit is no longer um, affordable to those who need it. We got some great ideas around opportunities. Uh, one thing that was mentioned a few times is just establishing greater connections with Dean College, um, having, you know, greater connectivity between them and the town, and, you know, are there ways that the public could, you know, have better access to some of their amenities. A desire to convert existing downtown businesses to retail and casual dining. I heard a lot about the need to just make use of the vacant space that 
is there. Um, more comments around sustainable features, not just in terms of um, the building efficiency, but also green infrastructure for stormwater management, having bike racks, making EV charging stations available, et cetera. Um, kind of the need to diversify business and entertainment options. So there are just more kind of places to go and different types of activities to participate in. And then providing um, greater placemaking options for teens and families, um, places where, you know, they can go and they can hang out and feel safe, um, but, you know, still be in like an appropriate kind of hangout area that's like not getting in the way of other people. We asked people to identify what other communities, both in the region and elsewhere, have great downtowns that um, you know we should be looking towards for some inspiration. So the we, we basically inputted all the feedback that we got into our um, our word counter, and so the the ones that were mentioned the most were Hudson and Wellesley. Um, at, you know, 45 mentions for Hudson, 44 mentions for Wellesley, followed by Falmouth, Natick, Norwood, Needham, Concord, Newburyport, Medfield, et cetera. And so all of these, you know, are pretty small towns. Um, I don't know exactly how their populations compare to Franklin, but um, we're definitely thinking about other people are identifying kind of other suburban communities, not really higher density places. The last part of our survey was just to probe um, what, how, how people sort of identify themselves and we do that so we can compare that data with um, what the metrics are kind of for Franklin as a whole. And that just allows us to see are like we reaching the right populations? Um, and are there other areas that like, are there gaps that we need to be thinking about as we do future engagement um, to ensure that we're sort of having an equitable approach? So in terms of living situation, uh, the vast majority of participants own their home. Um, this number is actually a bit larger than the percentage overall for Franklin. I think that's about 80% of people um, own their home for home their own their home versus renting. Um, and in terms of what kind of house people live in, uh, the vast majority live in a single family home. Um, a few people live in duplexes or other typologies, but um, the most res most respondents live in single family homes. And again, I think that number is a bit bigger than um, the number of single family homes kind of as a percentage of all the units in Franklin as a whole. We asked people their age. Um, and so we sort of have this nice bell curve um, to show though, you know, these numbers aren't all that reflective of the community as a whole, which isn't surprising. You know, we wouldn't expect a whole lot of teenagers to participate in this process, even though there's quite a few of them um, in Southboro, or sorry, in Franklin. So that clearly skews the numbers a bit, but um, you know, the, the most people, usually this is sort of the case, like people who, 
you know, our, our homeowners and are sort of really invested in the community. Um, and like what the future of that area looks like, whereas younger people might be sort of thinking about other things. We ask people to describe their racial and ethnic identity. Again, um, the vast majority of people who participated identify as white, um, followed by other. And so um, what I'm guessing that is mostly people who identify as mixed race. We didn't give people um, the option to use that. Instead, we said they could um, check all the, the racial and ethnic identities that they identify with. Um, and so um, I'm, I'm assuming that that's what mostly that number is people who said there's no option for mixed race, but that's what I am. We asked people how many people live in the household and by far the most um, common responses were either two people households or four person households. And this is pretty um, similar to what the breakdown is for Franklin as a whole. We also asked people how long they've lived in Franklin and um, a little less than half of people who completed the survey have lived here for over 21 years. So um, people obviously have long-term investments in the community. And so they are really curious and um, you know, wanna be informed about what is happening here. But I still am you know, encouraged by the number of people who, who filled out the survey but have only lived in the town for zero to two years or you know, less than 10 years because those are, those are still pretty good numbers. And then lastly, we asked people if they live in the Franklin Center study area. So um, more than two thirds of people do not. Um, and you know, one thing I think I would be interested in doing some more data analysis on, you know, we sort of process the data as quickly as we can because um, we just closed the survey on Friday in order to get it in front of you today. But, um, you know, I think some further analysis we could do is kind of just see what the survey results were for people in the study area, um, who live in the study area and are most likely to be impacted by these changes and see if that kind of, how that compares with the town um, or the respondents as a whole. And, you know, we can also think about if there are other sort of metrics we want to do further analysis based on um, to see if that yields any different kinds of results. All right, um, well, that is the end of my um, spiel. So I'm now going to, unless you have any sort of immediate questions, I'm gonna turn it over to Tim Reardon to talk about um, the MUTA communities analysis that we are looking at for Franklin and um, you know, sort of what future considerations we should be thinking about as we think about compliance with um, this new mandate. Okay, um, Emma, I just mm -hmm. wanted to um, allow the steering committee here to ask you any questions about the um, the survey while sure. we have it fresh in our minds because there's a lot of information there. Yes. Um, hopefully we'll be getting um, that presentation so we can actually look through it and then come up with some more questions for you. Absolutely. And, and we are also um, going to be putting it more of like in a narrative memo that we'll share with the community too. Um, Excellent. Really clear Excellent. What people said. Okay. So I'm going to ask, um, does anyone have any questions? Councilor Frangillo? Yeah. I, my main question um, 
just going in, we're, we're just sort of knowing the answer, but are we expecting this to be a, a representative sample of, of Franklin as a whole? Um, and I, I think you made it clear that we're not, um, and, and that it, it's skewed wealthier, older. Homeowners, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> which I, I feel like is important. And the other piece that, uh, in, in terms of context, um, how, how many focus groups did we? Sure. Uh, so um, I think that's a really good sort of caveat that, um, you know, usually participants are more likely to be white homeowners, wealthier, like that's just kind of what we expect in most urban planning processes, just because that's kind of how it's always been. Um, so I'm not really surprised by these results, but I think it points to the importance of those focus group conversations that we held. Um, so we had one with developers, we had another with um, business and property owners, another with service providers, you know, who are working with people who are kind of struggling with housing issues, and also um, a residence focus group, which was mostly with people who live in the study area. Um, so I think that kind of gives some good contextual data um, you know, there are certainly ways for future engagement that we can try to target some of these other populations. Um, but sometimes you kind of have to have those more like one-on-one -on -one conversations to, to reach those groups. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Um, so I, I was just going to ask, I do, I think it's a great idea to have, to look through the answers for the people that live in the area. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important because these are the people that could potentially be affected the most. And, yep. um, and, I, and it would be interesting to me to see that data. I don't know if you're gonna be able to tease that out um, but yeah, I mean, we could just sort important. of filter, um, you know, the responses by people who live in the community. It requires like definitely some time to do the analysis, but I think that is something that we could certainly include like in that narrative memo we put together. So basically Excellent. if there's anything, um, any of the data that doesn't match up. So for some of the things it might be consistent across all the responses, but if there are areas where it doesn't match up, we could, um, flag those and, you know, show that breakdown. Right. Great, thank you. I think, um, is there any other questions on the steering committee? I think um, we're all set. I think we wanna, we're gonna, we wanna get a chance to actually read through everything. Absolutely, um, yep. But <laughs> Before we come up with too many questions, but I think there's a question out in the audience. It's uh, iPad 2. Is that right, Amy? They have their hand up. Okay. Hi, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. So I guess my first question Actually, my only question is really addressed to Kobe, who just spoke. So one, I own a house in Franklin, and two, I am far from wealthy. So I guess I'm a bit concerned that you're kind of throwing out all of what the 400 and something people took the time to fill out this form. So I guess my thought to my question is, is like, where does it end? Where does the input from people who truly don't care like, why are you going to go out and solicit more input? There was more than enough time. This was all over Facebook for the past month. I know specific, specifically, I sent it out to about 50 people I know. So I guess I'd like you, Kobe, to answer why you're saying like, oh, you know, the wealthier. I am not wealthy. I own my own home. I own my businesses. 
I do what I need to do. So if you could elaborate on your, you know, your take on wealthier and the lower income, I mean, everyone had access to this, to this presentation and to this, you know, um, whatever the survey online. I mean, okay. um, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second to, to ask you before Kobe, Aunt, Councilor Frangillo answers. Mm -hmm. um, I was just wondering if you could give us your name and your address since all it says is iPad too. Um, personally, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. I do that on purpose. I live in Franklin. I've been here for 13 years. I have two children in the school system. I get ridiculed every day on Facebook because I do not agree with a lot of the stuff that the town is trying to do. So I would like the councilman or selectman to actually answer the question. Oh, um, we would like to know if you. We can't. Okay. All right. What? We can't. can't. Ma'am, this is the, this is Glenn Jones of clerk of the Franklin Town Council. Um, we can't field questions from the public without knowing the public we're speaking to. Uh, oh. The simple fact that it is it is policy of the town council and its policy of our public. Mm. Okay, well then here you go. My name is Jennifer Clark. I live at 53 Crocker Avenue in Franklin. I moved here on May 1st of 2012. Do you need anything else, Mr. Jones? No, ma'am, just clarify. Okay, thank Thanks. you. Okay, definitely wanna hear Kobe's reply to wealthier people. And I am not wealthy, but I do own my own home. So please specify what you're speaking about and why these individuals who didn't do the survey should really have a say. I mean, I took the time along with what, 800 and whatever, some other people. I didn't have to do that, but I did. You know why? Because I think it's important. So help me. Well, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Kobe respond because I know you want to Yeah, hear no, please him. do. Thank you. Um, but I can tell you that from, you know, my agency, we work with a lot of communities and generally um, yeah. a lot of the harder to reach populations are people who, um, are people of color who are people who aren't making as much money or renters. So um, it's really just about how are the demographics of people responding to the survey matching up to the people who live in Franklin in order to be. So, okay, that's fine, Emma. I totally agree with you, but where does it end? Like we took the time as adults to go onto this form and fill it out. So we're correct? not we're not changing any of the results of this survey. I just want Kobe to answer why he's more concerned with making sure like, you know, like I've stated already, I'm not wealthy. My husband and I both work full time. Like we took the time to fill out this form. He made it very clear that like, this does not take into everybody in Frank. Hey, Jen. So, okay. You Jen. know what, Kobe, either answer it or don't. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, Kobe. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jen. I um, it it, it was the, the survey is what it is. I was more a, a question of of context, right? In in order to understand the survey results, we need to uh, recognize that it's, it's not intending to be a representative sample of the community, right? We we had an opportunity to provide input, and it's going to be the many ways that people are going to be able to provide uh, input on uh, the topic. Um, these numbers are not to say that 40% of Franklin believes this, rather it's 40% of the respondents believe this, and it's important to recognize uh, the context uh, of those respondents. Certainly not everyone who answered this um, is uh, 
wealthy and uh, you know a single family homeowner or anything. Yeah, we actually like didn't that. even ask it, it, about income. Sure, sure, um, but but recognizing that there's a likely uh, that it's likely not representative of the town is important context and understanding the survey results. Okay, all right. Um, thank you, Councillor Frangillo. I think there's one other question out there. What is that? Janet. Janet D. Could you state your name and your address, please? Sure. This is Janet Dusnap. I'm at 7 Tyson Road. Okay, go ahead. You have a question? Great. It's actually not a question. It's really more of a comment. Um, as I was filling in the survey, I was, uh, especially the questions about parking, um, I, I know from previous uh, discussions about parking in the center that there, there's a focus really on patrons and people coming to the businesses and finding parking. But I, I think um, there's maybe not enough emphasis or not enough attention given to, you know, not only the residents, but the businesses that operate in the center that many businesses have people who have to be there for eight plus hours a day. And um, there, there's limited parking for those people unless they actually live within walking distance um, of, of the center. And right now, um, yeah, unless there's dedicated parking for those businesses, you know, people that may have more than um, a couple of employees you know, it's, it's very challenging. Um, and they, they probably have to walk 10 to 15 minutes to find, um, you know, parking where there's not a two hour limit or, um, or, you know, a, uh, a parking meter or something like mm -hmm. that. So I just right. wanted to make a comment more yeah. than anything. Thank you. That's, a, that's a great comment, Janet. And I think um, Administrator Helen has an answer. He wants to say something to yeah. you, okay? Great, yeah, Jamie. Through you, Madam Chair. Uh, to Janet, uh, really quickly, how are you, Janet? Uh, I'm Jamie, the uh, town administrator. Um, actually, there are merchant dedicated spots downtown in our bylaw. Uh, I'll give the cheap plug. Um, <laughs> we have uh, uh, actually the lot behind Dean Bank is a municipal owned lot. It is not all owned by the MBTA. The MBTA owns the bottom portion and the town owns the upper portion in addition to uh, approximately a dozen or two dozen spaces off Emmons Street, which literally have signage up saying uh, merchant only parking. In our town code, we have a bylaw that has, I believe 24 merchant dedicated spaces and roughly 60 or 70 other commuter spaces. Uh, I can assure everyone um, that a large portion of those spaces are not being used today. Um, uh, obviously the pandemic has uh, wreaked havoc on commuters um, and uh, many of the merchants who used to buy passes uh, don't anymore. Um, so there are a lot of passes for people to purchase. Um, I will note that the Franklin Police Department uh, is doing uh, after this Franklin for All zoning uh, exercise, uh, we'll be conducting a, another analysis of pay by phone options and some other parking to look at our town bylaw in the post-pandemic world to see what are the rates, what are the needs, what are the uses. Um, and I would expect at some point later this fall, there'd be a more uh, uh, robust discussion on the parking. But if you go to the Franklin Police Department webpage, 
There is a link right there called parking permit lottery application. Um, in the old days before the pandemic, you needed a lottery because there was a lot of demand. Um, we don't need a lottery anymore. You can literally just call up and order your own space. I hope that helps, Janet. It does help. And in fact, um, it, I, I guess I wonder how many at the town hall know that because I actually called and inquired about this very thing and was told, um, actually, my question was, there's a parking space right in front of our business. Um, it's a mixed use um, home that is also commercially zoned. But um, I, I asked for some kind of permit to park directly in front of the home. And um, we were told we cannot. And I said, well, are there any other options? And there was, I was told no. <laughs> so I would have loved to have known that um, from, um, I think I might've just called the, the town clerk's office or, you know, and, and asked to be directed. So thank you. I appreciate it. You, you bet, Janet. Um, I, I will note, um, uh, you know, I'm obviously I wasn't on the call, um, but the spaces that are on the street are definitely not parking spaces for more than two hours. Right. And the reason yeah, is, is we need that. a rotation of cars kind of going around. Uh, because everybody wants the space right in front of their house or their business. And then that we get into the trouble of the customers can't park in those spots. Um, and this has been a time honored tradition in Franklin well before I got here, but, uh, but it's a short walk. It's only a few minutes in the background and um, you know, you can call the Franklin police department. You can Google it. And uh, there's a link there and a phone number uh, if you're interested in a spot. Thank you. Thank very you, much. Jamie. Um, thank you, Janet. Also, we're going to talk about parking at the next EDC meeting, so everybody else can join join us then. Exactly. Um, Councillor Jones has one quick comment before we go to yep. the MBTA communities analysis. Yep. Janet, thanks for chiming in, by the way. Appreciate your comments. Um, just something I'd like to bring up. One of the things I'd like to point out, not only to this council, um, but to the MAPC, is that there is currently posted on our website, the Franklin Town uh, website, uh, in regards to a report that was published in 2006 that's called TOD, or in other words, Transit Oriented Development. There's a 21 page uh, final report that was done by the Cecil Group dating back to 2006, uh, talking about many of the analysis in which they're currently undertaking. It would be a probably helpful tool for them to gather data from since there are pre-existing reports that we have under our development website. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't know if you were privy or know of that. Report. Yeah. Oh, I am oh. definitely aware of it. I think I do have the report or at least okay, some summaries of it. But any, any, any useful information that we can mm -hmm. provide? Well, I mean, it has some really good ideas in it. It does. Um, okay. I think we're, now we're um, sort of in the implementing stage, right? <laughs> we're done uh, with okay. the questions. Uh, I think we can move on. <laughs> All right. Um, the MBPA communities analysis. I'll Great. hand it over to you. Just let me know when you want me to switch slides. All right. Thank you so much, Emma. Um, thank you, Councillor Hamlin and the other members of the committee for having us here tonight. Um, I, I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to participate in this conversation about the MBTA community's um, requirements and this very preliminary analysis that we've done on um, the ways, you know, a, a couple options um, and sort of investigations of how Franklin could um, uh, could change its zoning in order to to comply with this new uh, this new requirement from the state. Um, Emma, if you could go to the next slide, I'll give you a, a brief overview 
of the MBTA Communities Program. So just for, for those of you who, who aren't aware, um, in the Economic Development Bond Bill that was adopted in January of 2021, uh, included a, a new zoning provision applying to 175 communities that are served by the MBTA, uh, including Franklin. Um, draft guidelines for that requirement were issued um, in January, uh, oh, sorry, in late December of this year. The comment period closed at the end of March. And um, the Executive Office of Housing and Economic Development anticipates issuing final guidelines at some point um, in late spring or early summer of, uh, of this year. And we've been deeply involved in this issue from providing uh, support to housing and economic development as they develop those guidelines, uh, commenting on them and analyzing them. Um, and now I'm very excited about this opportunity to, to start testing out what would uh, implementation of um, Section 3A compliant zoning look like in one of our communities, and especially in a community like Franklin, which is you know, fairly well served by commuter rail, has a robust downtown, and clearly has um, a, a really engaged set of, of um, uh, community stakeholders who are looking to, to rethink and reimagine what downtown Franklin is while also maintaining all the things that make it great. Um, I'll just say as an aside, I have a very, I have a soft spot for Franklin because when I started at MAPC 19 years ago, my very first public meeting was at Dean College. Um, and uh, I've always, uh, always loved the town. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to, uh, um, to work on this. So a couple um, sort of key parameters that we want to keep in mind uh, as the town thinks about how it could comply with the new zoning requirement. Um, the guidelines set out what's called a minimum unit capacity for each uh, municipality. It's based on different types of transit service uh, that different communities receive. In Franklin's case, uh, by receiving commuter rail service um, at its two stops, um, that means that the, the, the new zoning district or existing zoning districts should um, have a, a total unit capacity or minimum unit capacity of 15% of, of the existing uh, you know, uh, townwide housing units, um, which translates to uh, 1,883 units. Um, and as we know below, that's, that includes existing units. So you can rezone existing area, areas that already have existing units. Um, and uh, you're not necessarily, it's not necessarily 883 net new units, but total capacity. And we'll kind of look at what that looks like um, in this analysis. The minimum gross density is um, 15 units per acre, and that's over the whole district, which can be subdivided, which can be sort of broken up into different subdistricts. The import one important thing to note is that the gross density, and this is in the legislation, unfortunately, so it's not something that can be changed in the guidelines. The gross density is calculated as the total unit capacity divided by the total land area in the district. Unit capacity can only be calculated for parcels that are in the zoning district to be redeveloped. The total land area can include publicly owned parcels that can't be redeveloped. It includes uh, roadway rights of way and other undevelopable areas. So it behooves every town to sort of try to draw their district as tightly as possible in order to um, kind of minimize the, the denominator of this 15 units per acre um, calculation. Um, and it also means that the, that the sort of nominal density of any district has to be more than 15 units per acre in order to meet that threshold. 
Um, like I said, the density can vary across subdistricts, and I'll show you some examples of that in this preliminary analysis. Um, and 50% of the district has to be within a half mile of the commuter rail stop, which is not a problem because what we've done here is really focus on that, that downtown study area. A couple other things that I'll mention. I mean, one is that um, the definition of multifamily for purposes of, of um, this requirement is either three units in a structure or two structures with at least two units. And unfortunately, what that means is that some of those gentle density options that Emma had mentioned, for example, accessory dwelling units or allowing two family homes, unfortunately, those don't help to, um, to meet the requirements of Section 3A. It's got to be either um, allowing three units in a structure or two structures with at least two units, so at least three or four units on a structure. Um, and the deadline for adopting this zoning is um, for, for Franklin is actually not until the end of 2024. Um, that's the, that's the, the currently pro, uh, proposed deadline in the, in the guidelines for, um, for commuter rail communities. And I guess the last thing I'll say, which I think folks probably know, is that the zoning has to be as of right. In other words, it can't require a special permit or any other discretionary um, uh, uh, approvals. It can require site plan review. But as I'm sure you know, site plan review is not uh, sort of yes, no, but rather a review process, not a, not a discretionary approval. Um, so with that background, I want to ask Emma to go to the next slide. and I can talk a little bit about how we did this preliminary analysis. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions about it and a lot of things that you note in here. I want to I want to. Just acknowledge that this is the very first uh, community that we've started testing out for this Section 3A, so we still have a lot to learn about it. And let's remember the guidelines are still in draft form. Um, so um, first, we, um, we assign each parcel in the downtown area to one of the existing zoning districts. Then we exclude parcels that are ineligible and those that are smaller than 5,000 square feet. Ineligible parcels include, according to the guidelines, um, uh, publicly owned land that is in public use. So that means a town hall or a school or any, a park that's in a public use is excluded. We did not exclude, and we did this using the land use codes that are in uh, the town's assessor's data. Um, we did not exclude any municipal, municipally, publicly owned land that was classified as vacant according to the assessor because we figured maybe that's, that's not really in public use. So we included those. All of this, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're still waiting for a little more guidance from the state and all of these exclusions can be, um, you know, sort of, sort of adjusted. Um, and we can also include un other parcels that we think are really undevelopable. Uh, but that was how we did it on this first pass. Then we, we made density assumptions for each one of those zones. That is the, the commercial zone, downtown commercial, um, uh, mixed business innovation, and that general residential five. Those are the four four zones, and, um, and as you'll see, we did some where we had the same density assumptions and then some where it varied across the zones. I will note, we're not, we're not held to drawing the new section 3A zones along those boundaries, but it, given the timeline, this was you know, the sort of easiest thing to, um, to produce some results for you tonight and keep the conversation moving forward. We also moved areas that are unbuildable because that is required in the guidelines. Um, so we started with any protected open space, um, as we move forward and refine the analysis, we might also include wetlands or other, other space that can't count towards lot area uh, under a proposed zoning district. And then we developed capacity estimates for each parcel by multiplying the zone density by the buildable area on each parcel to estimate the unit capacity. 
So for each individual land parcel, we say, okay, this is going to be, uh, let's say it's half an acre and the assumed density is 20 units per acre. That would be 10 units. And we do that for each parcel. And then we can sum that up by district and for the whole, for all the districts that are included. And we'll show you those results right after next slide. We'll do, um, this is the current zoning. I think you might have seen a map similar to this before. I'm sure you know it well. So this is the, the part we looked at. I think there is that um, single family, is that the single family four zoning that's over to the, to the west there? That was not included in what we did and we didn't look at single family four. So we really just focused on the commercial one, downtown commercial, general residential and, and mixed um, business innovation. <laughs> we go to the next slide. Um, the, um, the, we, we, uh, for, you know, testing this out and for starting a conversation with you, we put together three, um, three different scenarios and we're not recommending or proposing any of these, but, but just to show you what's involved in the analysis and to start the conversation. So one would be applying some density assumptions to all four of those downtown districts. Scenario two is we have a higher density in that downtown commercial district and a lower density in some of the other zones. And scenario three is that mixed business innovation where maybe there's a much higher density in that mixed business innovation zone for kind of that would enable large scale transformational development in lower densities elsewhere. So what do those look like? We'll start with the equal density scenario, which is on the next slide. Um, so in this, we assumed 22 dwelling units per acre for all four of those zoning districts. Um, and the map here shows the number of total dwelling units. So again, not netting out any of those that are already there, uh, the total number of dwelling units um, that might be possible after you know, excluding a certain parcels and open space and, and any other restrictions. The total unit capacity is just about 3,300 units here. So well over the 1,800 units that, um, that Franklin is, is required to zone for. Now, I will note, there's a lot more nuance to be done on how much could actually be built on each parcel and how we deal with things like setbacks or odd lot sizes or other restrictions. So, you know, I'm not saying you can take that 3,300 unit estimate to the bank, but, you know, it gives you a sense of what the ballpark is and you can see it's bigger for the bigger parcels and smaller for all those, those smaller parcels that are, that are in, um, you know, right around the train station in the downtown area. Um, one good thing is that the gross density here passes that 15 uh, unit per acre uh, threshold that's in the guidelines. It's 15.5 units per acre. That's basically the area of the total of the entire of all four zones divided by um, the number of unit, the, those 3,300 units or divided into those 3,300 units, I guess. Um, and then that little table down there, and I apologize that it's kind of small, shows you the number of units that are in each one of those uh, zones we looked at. So commercial is just shy of 600 units. Um, uh, DCD, downtown commercial, is um, just over 500, 531. Most of them are in that general residential five zone. And most of those are in that parcel um, right there on the, the top right, which has actually been recently developed. Um, and then just under 800 are uh, in that mixed business innovation district. So Conceivably, you could drop that MBI district out of there and you would still uh, clear the 1800 unit threshold, presuming that there weren't too many other sort of um, changes that, that reduced your total unit capacity. Uh, the second scenario is the one where we focus uh, higher densities downtown and lower densities elsewhere. So this is um, about 40 dwelling units per acre in the commercial district. 
Um, and just to put that in context, that is, that's about a three-story building on a one-acre parcel um, would, um, uh, that, that's at, at an FAR of about one would, would give you about 40 units per acre. Um, so, uh, um, and then 35 units per acre in commercial one, 15 in that general residential and just 10 in the mixed business innovation. Here again, we get about 3,300 units. And again, we pass that gross density. And then the third scenario is, as I mentioned before, that MBI focus where we say, okay, what about the MBI? It's allowed at 45 dwelling units per acre and the, other are, the others are just 15 units per acre. In this case, again, about 3,300 units just passing that density of 15 units per acre. So um, these are just three options and maybe, um, uh, Emma, you could, we could, I, that, that's, those are the end of my slides. Maybe we could stop screen sharing and we could, we could see each other um, for the time being. But um, those are the, um, those are three different scenarios that we, that we could test out now, or that we did test out, I guess. And the question for, um, for, you know, the, the committee and, and all the stakeholders is, is, you know, what, um, what is, what kinds of options would, um, would the town like MAPC to pursue as we, um, sort of refine and provide more nuance on these scenarios. Um, what are some of the concerns folks might have? I think if we can start from sort of a vision of the way that rezoning might take place, then we can, the, the role of a tool like this is not to tell the town what it ought to do or to say this is the best zoning for the downtown, but rather to say, if this is the zoning vision, Here's how. Here's our assessment of the extent to which it, it will uh, comply or fall short of the requirements of Section 3A. So again, it's not instructive. It is. Um, it's more of a review in order to to help um, uh, help determine uh, the extent to which um, uh, that new zoning could would would help comply. So I'm interested in hearing maybe some questions folks have about the technical analysis, and more importantly. I think I and Emma are both interested in, in hearing a little bit about sort of what other options um, uh, the committee or other stakeholders might want us to, to investigate um, and, uh, and, and where we should go from here. Uh, thank you, Kim. Um, that was a lot of information. Yep. I do have a question about um, since Franklin has two train stations. Yep. Does that mean that we can um, switch? We, can we spread out those units and um, and not and not maybe have too much density downtown, but have more um, down towards the other station? Um, yes, the um, the it's not in the guidelines, but HED has indicated that they will um, they will allow communities to to split up the district communities that have multiple. <laughs> Um, eligible station areas to split up the district among those station areas. So you could do that. You could do some of the units downtown and, um, and some at Forge Park. Yeah, I know we're right now we're just focusing on downtown, but we yep. could potentially say, okay, we only want to do 25% of these units down there and then kind of change that whole, mm -hmm. the way you plug in your information into your your, yeah, absolutely. Um, the way yeah. you're, way you're doing it, it's really interesting. It's I think that helps people a lot, especially when you say, you know, uh, it's a three story building on one acre lot. I think that that helps people. Um, but I have a lot of questions here, so I'm going to go over to um, Beth, Greg, Greg, Greg. Just a Greg. real quick question, to Tim. Um, 
Tim, is this based on obviously two stations? And if we had one station, would the numbers be less than the 1800? Yeah, the, that great question. Um, the way that the, um, the, the draft guidelines are, are written right now is that the, the town's unit capacity is based strictly on what type of service it gets and how many existing units are in, the, in Franklin right now. The commuter rail is 15% times the existing housing unit is the 18, uh, 1,800 units. So communities that have multiple stations, it's the same as if they had one. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, Beth? Sure. Could you clarify? Um, it, well, we have to zone for um, 1,800 units. Doesn't necessarily mean we have to build 1,800 units. That's right. Correct? That's correct. Um, and, and can, exactly, can, can we already count any of the units that are in the districts already, or do they have to be? New. new units yeah that's it is it the way the draft guidelines are and i know there were a number of comments that that came in on them so i want to i want to be very clear that that this is this is the interpretation of the draft and i i you know it, it's possible that HED could change it but the way that it's written right now it's the total capacity of the units irrespective of how many existing homes are already there so forgive me i don't know the name of the development that's that just went in Sort of right close to downtown, up um, sort of just north northeast on, of the on Dean Avenue. On the Dean Avenue, that's right. Station one seventeen. Yeah. So if you rezone, obviously they just built that. They're not going to rebuild it. But if you rezoned it for that density or higher density, you would get credit for whatever units are in the zoning, irrespective of how many units are already there. Could also rezone. Uh, you know, equal size blank parcel, you know, empty parcel of land, not that there's many in the area. And, and then that would all be net new. So it really, they're not, not, a, not accounting for any of the existing, <coughs> which, you know, from our, from MAPC's perspective is a little problematic because it, you know, you kind of get into a lot of games in terms of how zoning districts are drawn rather than focusing on what's best for the community and, and, you know, where's the best district, but that's the way the guidelines are. So it's not 1800 net new units and there's no requirement that the town build those. They have to be allowed as of right, but it's not a production mandate. That's very important to remember. Thank you. Um, Thanks for the yep, question. Go ahead. Yep. Questions. Yep. Um, we have another meeting coming up. Right, so. no, and that's what I wanted to say. I think this is a really important topic that yep. should a lot significant more amount of time, especially when deciding how much density we want in different, I mm -hmm. think it's appropriate in different locations. And yes. Having a few minutes to talk about, um, it's probably not really something, can we have more time to discuss and digest and have more of discussion with the group here? And Absolutely. Give direction to MAPC, yeah. I think that's really important. And then um, Knowing the MBTA community does not require any affordable component to it. Is that something the town can actually um, ask for? Um, how can we do that? And or is there no provision for allowing for affordability in this? Good question. You're, yeah, you're allowed to. Um, if you were to require affordability, you're still allowed to do that. Um, and uh, the units are all just treated the same. One of MAPC's comments on the draft guidelines was, was that communities should get extra credit 
for um, for any affordable units that are required in the zoning. So they would basically kind of count extra towards that minimum unit capacity. It's not clear to me. I don't, you know, jury's out on whether HED will, will take that up, but it was certainly one of our comments and many others. And I appreciate your bringing up that issue because very, very critical issue. Great, thank yeah. you. You done? Yes. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, I think one of the things that the steering committee would like is to be able to have a chance to go over all of this with us. Yep. Um, and maybe not MAPC, mm -hmm. just give us a chance for a week and discuss what we think is important to look at. Yeah. And, um, and then we'll get back to you on, on a lot of this. That's um, great. And I, I have a number of sort of follow-up questions because now it's like, we're given all this information around what people want to see, um, you know, it's all sort of colliding at the same time, like what people want to see, what these different scenarios can get us. And then we sort of have to mesh that all together. So um, yeah. what sort of dimensional requirements are we thinking? And that would make sense for the areas. And then we kind of calculate what that means on, uh, you know, units per acre basis. Right. I think that that's really important. Um, there is a, a um, person in the audience who uh, Megan Benson has a question. Do you have a question, Megan? Hi there. Yes, I do. Um, Could you state you. your name and address, please? Yep. Megan Benson, uh, 19 Winthrop Drive. Thank you. Um, so the, my understanding is that it, an MBA community doesn't necessarily have to comply with Section 3A. Um, and if they don't, it means we're not eligible for funding from the Housing Choice Initiative, the Local Capital Projects Fund, or the Mass Works Infrastructure Program. So I'm wondering if there's a way to provide Franklin residents with, you know, the money that we receive um, mm -hmm. from each of those grants. Um just because I think that that's important, uh, you know, obviously yeah. based on the survey results, it's um, housing was, you know, the lowest priority. And I think most of the town doesn't actually want additional housing. So, you know, what, what are other ways around that? Because it sounds like it's, it's not necessarily a requirement. Um, so I think to kind of explore that option as well, um, and just kind of be transparent with, you know, how much money do we, you know, rely on those, on, on that funding? Is it something, you know, we, we currently have um, all of that? And then just my other um, quick question was, is there a way that the MAPC could create, um, and I apologize if I missed this, but create another option that, um, you know, would kind of show like the current housing that we have almost like if we rezoned and considered the current um, housing we have, would we meet that 15% um, requirement? So if there's a way to do that, because then, you know, that would totally change everything. If we know that we're already at 12%, if we rezoned and didn't actually have to build more, um, you know, if, if that would be an option to kind of see what we have currently and where that would put us. 
Um, I think I'm, Jamie had, Jamie was going to answer that, and I think probably Kim could answer that, Megan. Um, but I yeah. think it's really important. I like your point. We should be able to. We should allow people to know what we will lose if we don't follow three A, the mm -hmm. MBT community. Um, but Jamie wants to say something quickly, and we have to move on soon. To we have to adjourn soon. So thank you, Megan. Thank you, uh, Megan. Great question. Uh, this is Jamie. Uh, really quickly, in the last year, just for example, if the town say was not eligible for those grant programs, we would have lost the opportunity at two point four million dollars worth of received uh, grant funds through those programs. Um, one was a housing choice grant for $200,000 toward the Franklin Ridge uh, Senior uh, uh, Affordable Complex up next to Eaton Place. And as you probably know, the $2.2 .2 million MassWorks grant we got uh, as a community to rebuild uh, the lower half of Grove Street, we would, we would have then been ineligible for. Moving in the future, uh, we are preparing for an additional MassWorks grant uh, for the Franklin Ridge complex, which is anticipated to be 60 units of affordable senior housing. Um, and it's been a, a shovel ready project. We're fighting with funding with our legislative and congressional delegations. And, um, and we will certainly be applying for a MassWorks grant. One other thing with housing choice, we are a housing choice community. We have been for three years. The most important thing maybe out of all of that was that when the Beaver Street Interceptor comes up, which is, will be in the $25 million project. Because we're a housing choice community, we are not paying a 2% state revolving fund. We're paying a 1.5%, which will save hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for ratepayers on the sewer program. So those grant programs are critical to the infrastructure of Franklin. I also just want to close out really quickly by saying, I know this is frustrating, but people have to understand a couple things. This, is, this presentation tonight will also be a part of the next council meeting. And then after that next council meeting, those are requirements we have to do by May 2nd by the state uh, 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 regulations. So this is not the end of the road. This is just the beginning. And I want people to really be assured that there's nothing going through next month. There are no proposals here, there, and everywhere. There's going to be a lot more community conversation around these issues. Um, and I just think that that's really important so folks really understand this is a long conversation and a complicated one. It's not going to be rushed and people should have a fair amount of time to have input. And as Beth pointed out, a lot of discussion around these very complicated issues. So I hope that helped, Megan. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie, so much. I know Justin was had a, uh, his question, but we're going to um, next time, Justin. OK, thank you, Megan. And most, I'll take accept a motion to adjourn. Second. Hold All on. Favor? Hold, hold on. Can I wait, oh. wait, <laughs> can I just go through my next steps really quickly? No, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, okay. Emma. Maybe next time. Okay. <laughs> we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. Thank you all. Thank you. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. 
The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clock and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clock and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters. <laughs>